0: This morning I want to look at James chapter 2. The topic of that particular chapter is faith. And the writer is just putting out a couple practical guidelines in regard to our view of faith. Uh, To address that first, I want to mention a couple verses. In Hebrews it says, without faith no one can please God. So that obviously is a very important principle or issue within Christianity, right? And so within church life or whatever, it's one of those things that we definitely, um, that's a part of our talk and a part of our thinking. Uh, In 1 Corinthians, there's a declaration made by Paul, he's going, if I have the faith to move mountains, I would be nothing unless I loved others. So he says there are more important things, and just to kind of sidetrack for a moment, if you could move a mountain, which one would you move? And, you know, my mind's eye, yeah, it'd be great to have faith, you know, just sugar loaf, you're moving, you know. Uh, But the truth is, if if it isn't in your heart towards something like that, most likely that's not the task for you. And uh, let's, I mean... Last night, I mentioned that a lot of times, our own egos would want to push us into prominence. I mean, it'd be pretty impressive in town if you were able to move Sugarloaf, right? And, And there would be a lot of acclaim given to you. But the reality is, sometimes our ego drives that kind of wish a lot more than the presence of God. And... Maybe an obvious part of what your prayer life is declares some of what is going to happen in regard to your faith and its demonstration. But it's, it's kind of like, I know I'm not getting this very clear. I'll try again. Um, if all your prayers are about, God, find me a partner, please give me a raise at work, and uh, forgive me for watching porn last night, those are all very kind of self-centered prayers, right? But if if you're looking outward and saying, thy kingdom come, there's a, a perspective that, that looks wider than that. And maybe if, if your desire is to be used of God in... on a wide scale, maybe nationally or internationally, some of your prayer has to be started out that direction. It it isn't just going to come through selfish activity and then suddenly one day you wake up and say, okay, now I'm ready to change the world. So I I just throw that out to you that that there are things that should become a part of us, internally as a part of our prayer life long before we see outward demonstration. And that, uh, you know, it, one of the evaluators perhaps in regard to our own lives is saying, what kind of prayers do I pray? And if it's all selfish, it's time to start looking outward. That was free. That's not even the message. Now, uh, there's another another passage that's very important in regard to this principle of how important love is. And Jesus was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the man wanting to justify himself says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. And the principle that comes across is the one who intervened. That's... That's the neighborly person. James is going to address this in a very similar fashion. And so let's take a look at this second chapter. My friends, if you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you won't treat some people better than others. So there's a a general principle. He just says you don't just treat a few people special. And then ignore everyone else. Suppose a rich person wearing fancy clothes and a gold ring comes to one of your meetings. It'd be very tempting to pick on someone right now just for the fun of it, but I'll leave it alone. Not many of you wearing fancy clothes though. <laughs> That's it okay. It'd be good if your mother still dressed you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, James is drawing an illustration and saying there's a tendency in us to cater to certain people. Sometimes it's rich people, and Quite honestly, in our hearts, it's maybe they'd help me out, you know. And he's gone. He goes later on in this passage, and he he goes, "They're the people that are trashing your life. Oftentimes, they're the ones that are are upsetting everything. Why would you cater to that?" But he's just going. It's important for us to acknowledge that there are times when we cut others out maybe not even thinking about it, but he says, open the door so that your thinking addresses those folks. It's very, con- well, in a setting like this, if you've been here more than two years, you've probably pretty well forgotten what it was like when you first came in and didn't know anyone. And yet, you have your core of friendships and in. You know, it's important to greet them every time and to have that fun, so to speak, of relationship. But he would draw us to attention and say, what about those that are just making their way in? You know, do you remember how you didn't even know where you are supposed to sit? And you weren't sure how long the songs would go on and what they'd be singing? And this whole prayer thing in groups scary. You know, and, and it, you know, that's, you know, that would be a practical application, right? So just saying, okay, you got your buddies, and that's wonderful, but there's a need to look beyond that as well. Today, we're going out to do silhouette shooting, and it, it's expanded much more than that, right? I mean, Jerry's got zip lines for the kids, and uh, there's there's plenty of ways to get hurt, uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's one of the most <laughs> it's one of the most fun times we have a, as a group. But there are some that have never been there, and so maybe you need to help them get there a first time, right? Just to hang out. So I just toss that out. He says uh, in the fourth verse. He says it's like saying some people are better than others. You'd be acting like a crooked judge. You'd, you'd be causing an injustice if you look at others and, and are unwilling to treat them like friends, neighbors. You know, it's as if the law is written different. It's if, you know, it's, there's a fair amount of angst right now. Going on and say, Hillary, she's got different rules than everyone else. She gets to live differently. You know, we can all chirp about that, but he's going. You know, if if you fail to acknowledge that everyone has need, then you're really kind of doing the same thing. Um, there's a fair amount of angst, you know, in our groups right now. And it's it's like, um, well, you know, some are saying it, it's finally time they get theirs. You know, they've been mistreating us. It's, the goal is not having similar injustices for everyone. The desire would be justice for all. You know, and and so you know, there's a a thing that, you know, it's not just getting fair, you know, everybody gets insulted or everybody gets hurt, but it's that attempt of saying, let's let everybody have the benefit of justice. Let's let everybody have the benefit of a fair trial, so to speak. That's what he's coming across with. And so when we look even in the room, it's like, let everybody have opportunity. Or when we go out into the community, let's reach to everyone. He goes on with his illustration of rich and poor. God's given a lot of faith to poor people. He says, the rich boss you around and drag you off to court to make fun of the Lord. What? Why? Why is that so special? You can't. And he he goes on and says, you can't obey every law except one and still be guilty of breaking them all. In other words, the same God who told us to be faithful in marriage told us not to murder. You can't pick and choose the activities that you want. If you're called to love, you don't pick and choose the people you love, but rather it gets expressed to all those around you. Okay. Speak and act like people who will be judged by the law that sets us free, because on the day of judgment, there will be no pity for those who have not had pity. In other words, we are called to compassion, hoping for compassion for our own lives. And then it says, God is merciful, and it's a God of compassion has brought us into his salvation. So we are to be a people of compassion as well. God's not asking anything of us that he hasn't done himself. He's not asking us to live any differently than he lives. And so he wants out of us a loving activity similar to the love that he's shown. Okay, now he moves on to a different aspect of faith. And I'd like to go on from verse 14. Verse 14. My friends, what good is it to say you have faith when you don't do anything to show that you really do have faith? Can that kind of faith save you? If you know someone who doesn't have any clothes or food, you shouldn't just say, I hope all goes well for you. I hope you'll be warm and have plenty to eat. What good is it to say this unless you do something to help? So he says, "What, what starts internally has to have some kind of outward expression. And again, his illustration has to do with poverty. And quite honestly, poverty isn't the same in our culture as it is in most. Now, obviously, there are people in need, financial need, but generally, it's not the same scope of what they were dealing with. But let's expand that because he's saying, if you see somebody that has need and you have the ability to affect it, then there's a responsibility that comes upon us in Christ to say, what do you want me to do? Am I to to participate in this? Do you want me involved here? And there's a selfish tendency in us to answer for God and say, no, of course not. But he's, he's challenging us to push beyond that kind of thinking. Faith that doesn't lead us to do good deeds is all alone and dead. It is, is it possible to, to have faith without doing kind deeds? And I'd answer prove that you have faith without doing kind deeds, and I'll prove that I have faith by doing them. Then he demolishes this whole argument of faith that doesn't do anything. And uh, you know, it's like this week I had a guy tell me, I believe. I still believe. And it has no significant impact on his life. And I'm looking and going, okay, glad you believe. <laughs> but here's James' response to that argument. You surely believe there's only one God. Well, fine. Even demons believe this and makes them shake in fear. So he's going, yeah, of course, even the demons believe. That is not the measure of, of health. Then he goes, does some stupid person want proof that faith without deeds is useless? Well, our ancestor Abraham pleased God by putting his son Isaac on the altar? I, uh, <laughs> this translation always grabs me because stupid has not been a word used in our home. And uh, in fact, uh, our kids got disciplined for using that word. And uh, it's always that eye-opening thing of going, okay, this guy is addressing this in a way that really gets my attention. (laughs) How foolish can you be if you make this declaration, I believe, but it doesn't have some kind of activity involved? How stupid can you be to make declarations like that? He's emphasizing his point, just saying, that just doesn't work. And then he draws the Old Testament illustration. And obviously, there's a lot of questions even regarding that passage to us. But the bottom line is, Abraham believed in God enough to take his son all the way to the point of slaying him. And then God provides the lamb on the same mount where his own son dies for us as a lamb of God. You know, There's imagery there that's amazing. But what he's saying is, Abraham's friendship with God was really established through this event. God was happy over Abraham's willingness to obey him completely. And in us, there's that desire of saying, I would like God to be happy with my life. We please God by what we do, not only by what we believe. Then he gives one more illustration with Rahab the prostitute and says, "She did. She acted out a belief in hiding the spies and then sending them off in another direction." This kind of taps into what Charlie was sharing earlier. I mean, a prostitute in any community is not seen at the same level as a mayor, right? They're not seen as one of the city leaders or, or fathers or whatever mothers of the community. Um, it's not, you know, it may have been slightly different in that culture, but it wasn't the place of honor. And yet, it was not the person as much as that response that was seen as, as a noble activity. In some ways, that's a beautiful illustration, again, because it gives us this confidence that says, I'm not perfect, and I may not be viewed as, one of the noble people of town. But I have opportunity to do what God wants. And I have opportunity to give expression to faith in a way that pleases God. What an incredible thing. You know, I, I, I don't have to be outstanding, so to speak, in any measure, and yet there is this open door for me to please God. What's sobering in this particular passage is that it's so practical that it's unavoidable to say, God probably has something for me to do as an expression of faith, even though it may appear mundane, but it most certainly will involve my time or my finance, and it's going to force me to step away from my areas of comfort, or it might even cause me to step away from my friendship circle. That I would rather go to normally and step into something different. But that's what he's coming across with faith. You know, he's just saying, you know, we, we need to understand that it's not about a favoritism and just being friends with our buddies or doing good things for good people or reaching out to those that we think might have some benefit for us he's making a declaration saying it's got to be expressed in love that goes across wider boundaries. And then he's acknowledging that it it can't be just internalized and say, well, I'm a great person of faith, but you just don't have opportunity to see it. You know, that that my faith is very precious, but I keep it right in here. He says "It, it has got to have an outward expression. So Lord, help us. Because in this moment, I'm going to pray that he would show us individually what to do. How we apply this verse now. Okay? So Lord, we've looked at this chapter. And we acknowledge that uh, it's applicable to all of us. And there are facets of this that... Uh, might make us uncomfortable or might move us into things that we haven't previously been considering. So I pray that you would place in our hearts right now the face of someone or the name of someone that you would like us to step in and say, I have the ability to bring positive impact in this person's life. Give us wisdom in this moment, we pray. help us to discern what you're calling us to do. Amen. It is my, it is my desire that there would be mountain movers within this congregation. I just encourage you to pray toward mountains, not just internally, okay? But even in this moment, I know until you move those mountains, there are things in front of you that you can accomplish my faith in the Lord that give expression to the wonder of his kingdom. So I'm going to ask God's blessing upon you as you go out into the community. And it'll be my prayer that you have the opportunity of expressing your faith in activity of love and declaration to others. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what a faith-filled life really looks like. As they go into the community, I pray that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that they will help the downtrodden, that those in sorrow that they would encourage, that those that are feeling lost that they would help find a place of shelter. Pray, Lord, that you will enable them to carry out the deeds of your kingdom that you will enable them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, we pray. We love you this day.